Robin. And this is Rangers of the Midwest Podcast. Focus! Oh, crap. Set up. That's okay. So nice. Today we have two things, at least in mind, and we're gonna go off from there because we don't even know what this podcast is directly about. But I will start with this. I've recently changed shifts in Midwestern state parks, and I have a tale of the final night shift that existed for me. Now, as you know, on our, our previous podcast, we talked about day versus night shift, and the difference shown here will be more of the extreme that ever happens when it comes to working a Midwestern State Park night shift. So, um, so, so this is what we have here. Okay, so I came in at my normal, usual time at this state park. Which okay. is late. It's late. It's, it's really late. So as soon as I started the shift, the first thing I thought is, I really want to repair some stuff. So I started going back and forth with the fellow... Ranger Cody, and we went down, we started working on a shower, and on the way back, we heard our radio transmission. It said, all units, we have a guy. And so at the first time we heard it, we were like, um, okay, maybe someone's here to see one of our rangers. And then we noticed it wasn't anything like that. There was a man laying on the ground between the two benches at where we usually check in our campers. And he said, this is more serious than what we realized. Yeah, wow. Instantly, change of, of darkness. So we pull up on, on our golf cart that we have at the time. And the best we can do, which I soon realized, is you just have to make sure that there's nothing that this man can run into when it comes to having a seizure. Because that's exactly what, this ha- what is happening here. He actually is on the end of what would be a seizure. Uh, we had two... Uh, pedestrian standby said, well, they don't need us anymore, and they took off shortly after we arrived. We had one of our STWs call in for a uh, an ambulance to come check this man out. And as soon as the man was capable of talking to us, he said, don't call an ambulance. And I said, unfortunately, we've already called the ambulance, so they're going to be on their way. And he was, you could see that he was coherent but struggling to find the peace of mind that he you would hope for mm-hmm. after something like that happened. So I'm going to know him, like, do you know your name? And he's like, says his name. In this case, we're going to call him Jeff because everyone's Jeff in our show. And he says, I, I'm here. I know where I'm at. I know what's going on. I feel like I'm going to throw up, but I'm okay. Don't call an ambulance. And I said, I understand. Is there anyone else you want me to contact? And he said, call my mom. I said, you got it. How old was he? I think he was about 35-ish. Okay. He was definitely 35 and younger is what I'm going to say yeah. in this case. Um, turns out he's had a lot of serious brain work. Um, he had his brain um, sectioned, I believe is what he called, because he had many seizures before the time. And he was averaging a seizure every four months. And unfortunately this time he had a seizure while waiting for his check-in at the site. He was by himself, so God forbid he would have been driving when it happened. But we got an ambulance, ambulance checked him out, and they're like, there's really nothing we could have done. He was right. We shouldn't have called an ambulance. And we're like, well. Yeah, but you didn't know. Exactly, which we just did the first thing we thought yeah. would be the best thing to do. Um, but what I've learned from that situation, because it's the first time I've ever experienced someone having a seizure. If someone's having a seizure, 
It's not only just to make sure everything around them is safe. You want to make sure they can't hit themselves. You don't want to try to hold them down. You don't want to do anything. Let them live it out until mm-hmm. they're done. It's usually three to four minutes when it happens. And then you have to find out as soon as possible if they're coherent enough to talk to you and find out if they have if they're prone to multiple seizures or if they have epilepsy or something yeah. that would cause them to seize out again. As if you can get past all of those and they can tell you coherently that they don't need an ambulance, you should believe them. Which is something I learned that night. Um so between Ranger Cody and I and all of the SCWs, we all did a great job making sure that the, the scene was good. Shortly after he got up, they said, hey, we're, we hope to keep you in the campground, you know, if you do want to stick around. And, of course, he, he had a little bit of an embarrassment on his face. But oh, I believe yeah, poor we, guy. We did get to keep him in the campground, I believe, because he checked in shortly afterwards. Um, so continuing on, I mean, already an insane tale, five minutes of already dealing with a seizure. Uh, we go and do standard financial stuff for about 30 minutes. And then we're like, we should probably go check out to make sure everything's safe in the beach area. We head down with a fellow ranger of mine and we get down there and there's actually an ambulance and a police car sitting at the end of where would be the beach area. And there's like, what's going on here? I think we should talk to him. It's a heavily windy day. Uh, the waves are high. I would say six, seven foot. Yeah, that's high. It's pretty high. I mean, Dangerous. it's almost like, don't even go in the water kind of high. Mm-hmm. Red flag. Um, I go there and I talk to the officer and I'm like, what's going on? And they're like, oh, we had someone who has gone from the, the buoyed area and they got taken so far. They went all the way to the rocks on the other side. Wow, and the buoyed area is far from the pier. It's pretty far. It's about, I would say, 200, 300 feet yeah. or something like that. It carried them. That quick, all the way to that area, and they got kind of caught up in the rocks and got injured against the rocks. Luckily, it wasn't serious enough to where it caused to they would they would go under or anything more serious than that. But by the time we got there and knew that anything was happening, we found out that happened, and they're calling the parents and they're waiting for the parents to show up because the injuries aren't too severe, but they're enough to get the kid to go home with parents. Mm-hmm. And I said, "Wow, I had no idea this was even happening. It's time for me to do my part to make sure this isn't happening anymore." Yeah. So the, the ranger on shift with me, he went to go grab batteries so we could power up our megaphone. And I went from there, started making signage to put up to where people wouldn't go out on the furthest part of the, the water and the area that allows them access to the water. About what time was that? That was about 7.30. Okay. Going yeah, like 8 so o'clock. Yeah, so it was still... It was still people bad People were enough. still swimming, yeah. I questioned it even pulling out the signage at that point because... If technically we'd only be blocking out the area with the signage around from eight to ten, but I built the signage. I put in high bright color. I laminated it, put tape on it, and I went and put it out there. Now usually we drive this this uh, four wheel truck on the sand. Unfortunately, this time around on my way to delivering the sign, <laughs> the tires had been aired up. Normally we like to keep the psi on the tires between seventeen. And 19 on the front and back so that it makes it to where you can crawl on the sand in a four wheel. Yeah. Upon touching the sand, I realized this truck's sinking a little bit more than what I, I'm thinking right now. I'm like, oh no. And I checked it and I'm like, the PSI is at 65 and like 70 on all tires. I have to keep my momentum up or I'm stuck. So I took in four wheel with the aired up tires about a thousand feet of momentum. I started to get up to like 15 miles an hour. And then a man had an RC car on the beach. He 
he was doing circles with, and he realized that I was trying to get through fast. He stopped the RC car in front of me. Oh, so <laughs> I said, well, I mean, technically this is my fault. I got to stop. So I cut it short. I'm about 200 feet from the pier, about where the buoyed area starts. And I said, well, I can't take time to air down the tires now. I got to walk this stuff out. Yeah. There. So I took these barricades. I put them in my the side against me, fighting the wind all the way, about 200 feet walking to the, the area where I would normally place the signage. And I finally get up there and I'm like, oh boy, this has to be the exciting last day of shift, you know, this mm. has to happen. So I get out there and I let people know on the way, I'm like, hey, I'm about to block this off. We should have blocked this off earlier. We're going to make sure it's done now. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. Pull back. And I get to the end and right about where I get to, I know this is going to happen already, but I kind of just, I've, I can beat this, the waves that are crashing over this area. I'm like, I'm just going to. Just do it real quick. So I start building the barricade. I put in the first leg. I jump over the first set of water that comes. Six to seven foot waves. Unfortunately, I'm not going to win this battle. Second one hits. Fills my boots. Everyone behind me goes, oh. Of course they do. <laughs> and so I'm like, not only did everyone catch me shamefully catching water and filling up my entire boots, now I just have to just accept this. So waves crash over every three seconds for the next three to four minutes. I'm strapping these barricades to this area where I require the signage. I put caution tape around it to make sure it can't get lost to the wind and the, the water crashing over. And eventually I finally have it all tied down and I'm like, you guys have a good day. Please stay off of this area. So I walk back and one of the SCWs drive up the gator to me. And I'm like, here's a break. Thank God. He says, hey, someone dug a six foot hole in the beach and I almost just drove the gator into it. And I said, Boy, listen, <laughs> I'm having a day. <laughs> I said, I understand what you're telling me is a bad thing, and I want you to go over there. I want you to tell them they need to seal up that hole because I'm not sure in the law because I'm certainly seeing red right now, but I'm pretty sure you can't dig a six-foot hole without burying it back up. There's something, there's some sort of citation that puts people at risk or danger where they're creating a hazard. I don't know what the civil infraction is. If someone listening knows what it is, please do put it. And a comments on podbean.romw.com. Yeah, because I've heard of people like falling into holes and getting trapped. Yes, exactly. In their own holes that they dig. Creating like sinkholes mm -hmm. entirely. So actually, I'm sorry, it was romw.podbean.com. Please put a comment in there. I want to know what the civil infraction is, if you know it. But anyway, holes dug. I told him, go back and tell him, um, here's what I just went through. And he goes, wow, yours is much worse than mine. I'm sorry. And I'm like, do me a favor. Let me get on the back of this gator and drive me to my truck. I got to air it down. He says, for sure. He drives me over. He actually gives me even something to air down the tires. And I'm like, thanks, man. So I spend about seven, eight minutes of tire airing it down, watching the sunset go down and people just walking by and looking at me. And I'm like, sometimes this just happens. Accept my life. This is okay. I'll get it all aired down. It's been about 35 minutes. And I finally get off the beach and I'm like, I just need to do boots right now. I just want to chill out. It's my last night shift and this is all happening. So um, I go up back up to the, the headquarters location for us. I get some new boots. I ask for new boots. And then it starts to calm down finally. But it escalated up to the point and I got to experience a night I will never forget for night shift. So I got to that point and then we celebrate the end of my, my work shift for, for night shift. And then do our standard patrol. 
and the patrol goes very well. We have very little incidents. So it was just something that I think whoever's in charge of life was like, hey, you're never going to forget this day. Welcome to, to the, your new ship change, and you'll never forget. And that's my short enough story of how I switched from nights to days. It kind of gives you a bad taste about nights because of that last day. Yeah. So now if you get sent back to nights, you're going to be like, man, <laughs> I need to get another pair of boots at work just in case. <laughs> <laughs> Better just keep it in my trunk. <laughs> yeah, I that would give me a bad taste in my mouth for a little bit at least. But, I mean, it it is what it is. We all have good and bad days. And, like, I'm, who knows, maybe... The next day you go back to work, it's going to be really good. Maybe mm-hmm. you'll just get to fix stuff all day and you won't have to deal with people and holes and... <laughs> and all that fun stuff. I will seizures. say this. I mean, since I've actually gone to my new shift, it's been pleasant. Um, a lot got repaired the first day that I've gotten on a day shift. Um, I still have good rapport with night shift when I see them. Um, since the time that that's all happened, honestly, I would say... Not only did it give me some things I needed to learn, I'm not too hurt about what happened on mm-hmm. night shift. I should have been more expectant of the water in this case, but just something to never forget, you know? Yeah. A small rant, but also uh, something that I will remember for the rest of my life. And in, in turn, I always believe that chaotic stories are better than just like, you know, you know this happened and everything went great because you'll, mm-hmm. will, you will never forget it. Mm-hmm. If you ever experience it again, you're ready for it. So there's that. Yeah. And, like, I I remember almost everything that happens at work as long as, like, I get a trigger. Like, someone says something, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I did this. Yeah. So, like, you'll just remember anything. Like, today we had to talk to, well, I guess we didn't talk to people. You left a voicemail, but there was some dogs barking on a site that someone complained about. I remember that. I mean, yeah. I mean, it, but that happens so much. And then we worked on... Fit, trying to fix a toilet today that's been just broken for it won't flush for how long it's been two years it's about two years so we yeah. get it working on and off for yeah, two years on and off works and we've replaced pretty much everything already so it's hard telling what it really is honestly yeah. but beyond all of the the hoopla we have there though another good story we have for about a solid five minutes at least to fill up Gray lines. Um, oh, yeah. We kind of had a little bit of a talk lines. about this earlier. There's some things that we have in law enforcement. I could think of like four major ones right now. Like I could say right now, um, the whole legal marijuana thing, when I got past last year-ish, um, it was suddenly brought upon us like, hey, by the way, weed's legal and we don't have any sort of like enforcement for you. That's something that we kind of just don't really deal with when we come across it, unless it's a huge issue. Mm-hmm. Someone like that's working in the contact station will say, oh, I just smelled weed in that car, and we're just like, okay. <laughs> I mean, you're right. They, hopefully they're not smoking it when I go find them. Yeah. <laughs> I can think of an example. Um, the best close encounter example, the only time I've ever been able to enforce anything but not have anything to back it up. I had someone walking past me that said, hey, two rows over, go now. It's just some civilian. 
I'm like, okay. I walk over, and there's there's a man sitting in his car. He's over there just hitting his little uh, little uh, backwood blunt thing, and it's mostly gone. He's already almost killed it. Sitting in his driver's seat, and I walk over. I'm standing next to him. I'm like, really, dude? And he's like, oh my bad. And he just puts it out and sits down. And I'm like, hold on a second. Let me explain to you some education, you know, because the one thing we can do is they can't use it in public. Yeah. But um, I just I just educated him and told him to leave, which also I'm on a gray line here. I don't even think that we're allowed to boot people right now. Yeah, I'm not even sure what we're allowed to do with that. I, I mean, can we confiscate it? Can we... I don't think so. Yeah. They're allowed to have up to, I think it was two ounces on their person. Mm. If it's not one ounce. Yeah, but I think it needs to be locked up and like in their trunk so they can't access it while they're driving. So so him being in the driver's seat, like smoking it, obviously he's he doesn't have it locked up. Um, for example, when I when I dealt with this man, like he of course had he was smoking it out in public. Um, you're able to have 2.5 ounces away from home, and so according to what I'm reading here, you're, you're uh, it doesn't even have to be in any specific location. Yeah. Which oh, okay. That, so that, it doesn't need to be in the back. Well, mm, depend. Do you have to have a? Uh, uh, one of those cards. So, on another term, we're transporting marijuana. It says transporting recreational and medical marijuana in Michigan is legal for qualified patients, caregivers, and adults of age as long as it is in a sealed label package or in the trunk of a car. And it can't be in a place where it's readily accessible. Yeah. So, in this case, I should have been able to do more to Wait, control. go down for a little bit. Okay, okay. Oh, it's just telling you the medical conditions that... The, the most given reasons why people yeah. would do it if they were qualified patients. In this case, now that in Michigan, it's it's legal just to have. The only thing we can really try to enforce, which we can't, we don't have a, a public act for yet. Would okay, be, so you don't have to have that card just to have 2.5 ounces in your trunk. Correct. Okay. Yeah, you could just have 2.5, but you're um, not supposed to keep it, anything on you. In this case, though, we don't really have much to go off of when it comes to the public act itself. Mm-hmm. So, at best, uh, I remember there was at some point last year they told us that we shouldn't even try to boot the people. But I will do what is asked of me when it comes to the public. I think for the public safe, safety in this case, the man was smoking. I had the woman he was with drive home. Because I said, listen, you can't smoke this here. You shouldn't even have it out. It's supposed to be in a trunk or somewhere away from you. And... I don't care. Home. Yeah, I don't care how much you have, but I think you should go. I'm like, go, you gotta leave the park. Oh, not bad, man. Okay. I'm like, okay, good, thanks. And so he switched to the passenger, woman drove, and they got out. But that's the closest encounter I've actually experienced someone doing it. And I know we have a use of marijuana charge, but I'm not sure if we're allowed to enforce it at this time. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure either. That's just an example of like one of the gray lines we have as park rangers currently. It's something that's very, like, controversial, like, for, yeah, it's confusing. Yeah. But, um, anyway. That and, um, 
I mean, there's dogs. also the service dogs. dogs. Service dogs. I, think <laughs> I are... went on a blank. Yeah, service <laughs> dogs. Like, it, they don't have to wear a vest or a collar, and they don't have to have cards or paper out. So when we're trying to boot dogs off the beach, um, we can't just say, hey, is this a service dog? We just kind of say, you can't have dogs down here. And then people will say, well, it's a service dog, or they're working. And then you can't ask um certain questions like you can't ask for their papers you can't ask why they're wearing why they're not wearing a vest but you can ask like is this dog used for like a service dog for a disability yeah and you can ask what they're um what they're trained to to what is their purpose yeah what's their purpose what they're trained to do for you basically so but that's all we can really ask them so if they're if people are lying about it, we never really would know. Mm-hmm. So we just kind of, okay. But only certain dogs can be service dogs, right? Certain types, there, breeds. I think there's something that I haven't been able to delve into very much, but I'm pretty sure it is only supposed to be certain breeds yeah. that are almost like companion dogs, which also is a separate category. Yeah, because there was a guy on the beach like a couple weeks ago who had a chihuahua, and huh. that, and he's like, this is my service dog, and I'm like, <laughs> thinking, wait, what? So chihuahuas can be service dogs? I I guess I, I should have researched it. I didn't think about it. So not not to put any offense to the man, but when it comes to a service dog, you think of an animal that would be there to help you, like, not only see or say if you're you're prone to being, uh, to falling and stuff like that, mm-hmm. they would be a support in that way. In this case, that dog probably wouldn't fit those categories, but... The closest thing I could think of is there are service dogs for destructive behaviors. And if somehow a chihuahua has been trained, which I'm not going to call it unlikely, but it's just far-fetched in my opinion. Yeah, like it might be trained for when when someone has episodes and they need like licking or just like nudging to Mm -hmm. get out of it. I don't know. Something to just get away from my mind. I can picture that idea, but... Just another one I like to just say, gray lines. I mean, mm-hmm. there, there should be a lot more we can do to really discover if we should leave that person alone instead of having to confront them and then have them legally try to battle us. Well, and it's beach. hard because you don't know if you're offending someone too. Yeah. And you're not even, like, we're not meaning to offend people, but. Mm-hmm. It's also the reason we ask the questions the way we do, though. I mean, legally, that's why we have to ask them that way. Because if you were to say something more aggressive, I'm not going to. Speak, because I don't want to get yelled at. Okay, but. so according to wagwalking.com, <laughs> chihuahuas often fall in the category of therapy dogs, which is probably emotional support. Mostly. But many chihuahuas are certified service dogs trained to perform tasks for disabled persons. Any dog can be a service dog regardless of size or breed. They just need the right temperament and ability. Yes. So... That guy, that dog very well could have been a service dog. And see, that's the really hard gray line on that one. It says that they can help people with mental disabilities get rid of panic and other symptoms. Is that specifically for chihuahuas or just for the chihuahuas? Specifically for chihuahuas. And like it says after that, much like emotional support animals. So, but it's not an emotional support. So it must be people who have like... I don't want to say worse, but you know, more, more severe, more, more destructive, or yeah, severe, more yeah. more severe mental disability of just like depression and anxiety. Yeah, 
There's some people I bet that if they had a strong enough bond with an animal growing up, they could easily, between the temperament of the dog growing up with that person mm-hmm. and that person only growing up with that dog to love, and I guess in a way, yeah. then I could definitely pass pass that as a good dog for, for being a companion or a service animal. Yeah, and some of those, yeah, because some of the service animals, like service animals can get trained by really anyone, like their owner or someone else, so mm-hmm. they could just, yeah. Yeah, and as it stated too, like as long as they have the right temperament mm-hmm. to to be that service animal. Yeah, because like I just met a lab the other day that didn't cut it for hunting, so no one wanted it. But then the right family found it, and the dog is such a lover. Mm-hmm. Like you met the dog today. Oh yeah, Real but like they just some dogs aren't meant to do what people want them to do. <laughs> They're not direct for, yeah. for service tasks. Sometimes dogs just are good to be around. Mm-hmm. So I got one more gray line to go off of because I experienced this on the most independent day of the year. They call July 4th. Oh, yeah. Best <laughs> day ever. So for for Midwestern parks, the majority, if they have to work, which most of them should have to, yep. they get to experience the bulk of America all in one day. And if they're lucky enough, you'll be in a situation where you're going to deal with a lot of people and fireworks at the same time. So, in this case, at this Midwestern State Park, there was a private event being shown for fireworks. And I, as of many other rangers, were in charge to make sure that the area was clear before the private event for fireworks started. Now, it was something over 50k in fireworks for this event, but it was only meant for the people that lived at that house. But people know about this event pretty well. I'm going to leave it pretty vague, obviously. So our job was to make sure everything was clear by 10 p.m. Because that's when normal parks close and we're going to stick to our original routine. So I went along and did my job. Everyone did their job making sure people wouldn't enter after a certain time. Mm -hmm. We made sure that I was clearing everyone off the beach at a certain time. And just before everything started, I experienced the lawyer. So one man and his family members decided, hey, you know, I know the law. I know what I'm going to get away with here. So um, why I cleared everyone off, there was only three other people left on the beach walking the shoreline as fast as they can to the other end where the fireworks are going to be located something about 2,000 feet from that area. So I go, What's this, what are these people doing? They should know better. No one's here, obviously. So I drive down to him in, in my uh, utility vehicle. And I pull up and I said, hey, what are you doing? And he says, going to see the fireworks. And I'm like, you no, can't be not. here. Can't be here. He's like, technically, I'm on public land. I'm in the shoreline. And so gray line here. I don't know how deep you have to be for it to be considered public land, but I'm pretty sure it has to be at least knee deep or so. I'm going to go with that. So this is what I went through when I went to my straight up enforcement mode and I said well I'm pretty sure that you need to be out there if you want to be coming over here he says I think I can be wherever I want to be as long as I'm out here and I said no but we'll, we'll do this how about you give me your name I'll take your license I'll write you a ticket and then you can decide with the court if it was a good ticket or not and he says well I know my laws and I'm allowed to be on the shoreline we're gonna keep going and I said okay but I'm gonna need to know who you are I am writing you and he says I think you're wrong but we'll go back and I said, thanks. I appreciate that. Go ahead and start your walk back. Got I'll follow you. Got what you wanted. That's all that matters. And so he says, yeah, 
you're really a party pooper. And I said, well, that's what they hired me to do. Have a good day, sir. <laughs> and so I followed him and his family back until I knew that they were going to go. And then I continued on. And then I uh, went back to my general basis of stuff. But on the great line, I think he was right. Um, I don't know how far you need to be out into the public waters before I can't enforce anything. But the fact that he tried to push along those lands and that we were confirmed to guard the other lands, I felt like I did my part to make sure that he was doing the right thing for everyone else as well. Yeah, because once someone saw him doing that, they would just, people would just, ugh, they would stampede. Yeah. This one person gets away with it and the mile mm-hmm. starts for everyone else. But... But Just, that yeah, yeah but that ahead. reminds me of a of a July 4th that I experienced with another ranger. Our parking lot was crazy. And like parking tickets are kind of gray area for us too uh-huh. because like in especially at our park, our parking spaces are slanted, so they're not just like straight parking spaces. Not like typical Walmart. Yeah, parking, they're parking. and they're very long. And then we have stripes at each end, and most of the time we have a lot of sand, like so you can't even see the lines. So, anyways, um, what'd you just write? I did something I have to take care of later. Oh. <laughs> anyways, so I think me and this ranger uh, wrote up twenty six or twenty seven parking tickets together. We. Yeah. So, there was one ticket, one woman, that actually took me to court out of all the tickets I wrote. I think I wrote maybe like 13 that day. So, I went to court with her, and she had previously, before we showed up, written a letter to the magistrate explaining why she shouldn't have gotten a ticket and that our parking spots are from the 50s and they need to be redone. <laughs> Did we and... do this from the 50s? I didn't realize. <laughs> um... Just like explaining how they're so long and they're they were made for those long older cars and okay. stuff like that. So the magistrate kind of was like on her side, feeling bad for her a little bit. So he kind of deemed her responsible for parking on the stripes, but also he waived the fees, mm. so she didn't have to pay whatever the amount was. Um, so. She's like, okay, thank you, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, this is annoying. (laughs) (laughs) So we both walk out, and we're in the stairwell. And the woman says to me, wow, you probably wrote a lot of tickets that day. I saw a lot of cars parked in the stripes. And I was like, yep, just, you know, doing my job. And she's like um, talking about the parking spots. And I was like, you know, ma'am, you can actually write a letter to the governor, like explaining, like, your situation and let her know that you're upset about the parking spots um and then the letter will end up going to someone who actually can make a change if they feel like it's it's worthy enough to make a change which Mm -hmm. i don't know we have a lot of parking spots in our in our lot there's quite a few yeah honestly so anyways (laughs) she goes well if i do that then you won't have a job anymore (laughs) and i'm like (laughs) All right, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds kind of like a slight to me. I don't know. 
I'm like, I'm not gonna argue with this lady, so I just, like, left and went on with my day, but it's like, if only she knew that that was just a sliver of my job, and it's a <laughs> part of my job that I wish I didn't have to do. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, it it's kind of sucks having to enforce certain yeah. things like that. I can understand that. And to follow up for everyone listening, from different uh, parks or wherever they're from, stripes are there for emergency vehicles to be able to fly through to get to a location yeah they're it's important for people to not park on there so there's room like if for example that day you said you wrote between the both of you 27 tickets Mm -hmm. you think about it like how if something would have happened on the beach how would the ambulance or anyone that needed to be there ever get there in time yeah there wasn't a lot of room to drive through we were squeezing through areas yeah and that's just something that scares the crap out of me if someone were to like come into dire straits on the beach area, they'd have to wait in line with all these people mm-hmm. when there should be at least that small gap that we should shoot through, which those are very necessary, but unfortunate tickets that you had to write. Yeah, and, and when I was at court, I stressed that. The mm-hmm. emergency vehicles, I stressed it. And like even the magistrate agreed with me mm-hmm. because that that could cause so many issues. Yeah. And it's not like we voluntarily would let these people park in these areas. No, I mean, yeah. These people just came in and we got so filled up, not even 15 minutes later, everyone's taking spots just because mm-hmm. they want that badly to be on the sand. Yeah, we were just like headed down to the parking lot to count spots and it was, what, 10 o'clock in the morning? It was already <laughs> overfilled and we couldn't really even do anything about it by that point. In this case, this park, when does it normally open? 8 a.m., but sometimes the gates open a little bit earlier, depending on who, when the first, first person gets there. That's fun to think about. Mm-hmm. Two hours and opening the park? And, and when I opened the gates that day, because I remember I opened them at, I don't know, 7.50 or something, there was a long line of cars waiting to get in. Insane. And then they just sped over to their spots, set up their chairs for the day. <laughs> Some of them left and came back later. <laughs> and just to think about that, pre-COVID on a July 4th Oof. is, you'll see the most of America pop yeah. out that day. And those are exciting days to be Rangers right there. Yeah. And yeah, America. America. Okay, so we're delving deep. We're, we're about 30 minutes, 34 minutes in right now. So I guess we'll cut this one short because I think we've done our job here. Um, we've talked about... Yeah, an exciting tale of the last day and all the great lines that I could care to think about right now. Yeah, there's obviously more, but I mean, we we said what we said. And that's why we branch out so many podcasts, because mm-hmm. there's always going to be more. I believe this job gives us infinite stories, and there's probably lines that we haven't touched otherwise than what we're talking about now that we could do in another podcast. Yeah, Easy. and I say it's time for another special guest. Oh, that sounds good. I can think of a few people that I want to try to pull on. Yeah. We'll leave that open to the, the imagination for you folks. Until then, I'm John. And I'm Robin. This has been Rangers of the Midwest Podcast. I will say two more things while I'm queuing up the music. <laughs> Remember to follow us on iTunes and Spotify, romw.podbean.com. Please give me your comments. Let us know what you think. Until then, we out here. Until next time. Next Tuesday, to be exact.